Welcome back to Freaky Geeky. This is Taylor. This is Ash. And this is Des. And I have a pretty So neat... we're... Oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, oh no, I was just going to say, I apologize in advance for any sort of weird audio quality. We're having an off week, so just bear with us. Yeah, <laughs> we're having a week, so, but we'll be back to our regularly scheduled nonsense here shortly. Um, so I have an awesome story today. I'm really excited about it. If you hear any jingle jangling, it is my dog. I apologize. Pod dog. Um, <clears throat> so I think we all have all of our pod animals today. I guess yes, we, we do. do. Uh, Ash's two, Ash two pod cats, Dez's three pod cats, and pod dog, and my pod dog. Why do I have the most animals? Well, and eventually I'm going to have... Because a... you own a damn zoo. Well, and a pod snake. And a pod snake. Yes, you have, a pod, have a pod snake, snake now. Um, and I'm about to have a pod cat, so I'm excited. But anyway, <laughs> so Sorry, I'm Mom. going to tell the story of La Madrina. Have any of you guys heard of this case before? Uh, I'll tell you only what you said to me. I've heard of it, but not... In depth. Okay. So let's get the ball rolling. If that makes sense. So uh, Griselda Blanco Restrepo, uh, she was also known as La Madrina, the Black Widow, the Cocaine Godmother, and the Queen of Cocaine. Um, she was That's a pretty metal. <clears throat> right. She was a Colombian. <laughs> she was a Colombian drug lord of the Medellin cartel, and a pioneer in the Miami-based cocaine drug trade and underworld during the 1980s through the early 2000s. Um, okay. It has been estimated that she was responsible for up to 200 murders while transporting cocaine... Casual. Uh, while transporting cocaine from Columbia to New York, Miami, and Southern California. No shit. Um, at her height and notoriety, <clears throat> Griselda was one of the richest and most dangerous women in the world and was one of the most powerful drug kingpins in the world, still to this day. Um, you know what? I might have heard of her before. Now that I'm actually thinking about it, continue. Sorry. That's always how it is for you. <laughs> you always. I, I do it every time. It, it's true. I feel like I'm full of shit. I know, it's crazy though, because you do, it's literally every time, because you hear little snippets like, wait of- wait a minute, it's coming back to me now. You hear little <laughs> snippets of stories, and you're like, oh yeah, that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, she became the first ever billionaire female criminal, ruling her multi-billion dollar <laughs> drug trafficking empire with an iron fist, and becoming one of the deadliest women of all time. Um... <clears throat> So a little well, back, a little bit of backstory on Griselda. Griselda was born in Cartagena on the country's north coast. This is in Colombia. Um, she and her mother, Anna Black, moved to Medellin when she was three years old. Um, upon arriving there, she quickly adopted a criminal lifestyle. Um, Griselda's former former lover. Uh, wow. Okay. Former lover Charles Crosby. I can't talk. Um, Griselda's. <laughs> Griselda's former lover, Charles Cosby, recounted that at the age of 11, 
Griselda allegedly kidnapped, attempted to ransom, and eventually shot a child from an upscale neighborhood near her own neighborhood. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, at 11 years old. Um, Griselda had become a pit pocket um, before she even turned 13. And to escape the sexual assaults of her mother's boyfriend, she ran away from home at the age of nine and resorted to looting and meddling until she was 20 years old. Damn. Holy shit, dude. Um, then in the mid-1970s, um, Griselda and her second husband, Alberto Bravo, illegally emigrated to the U.S. with fake passports, and they settled in Queens, New York. Um, where they started and established um, a sizable cocaine business. And hell, man, in the eighties too. Like, yeah, business was booming. In April of 1975, um, Griselda was indicted on federal drug conspiracy charges along with 30 of her subordinates. She fled to Colombia before she could be arrested, but returned to the United States and settled in Miami in the late 1970s. Oh, okay. So she wasn't. Never mind. Yeah. So that was, what, the 60s when she... she 1975 okay. was when she was indicted, um, but she returned in oh, okay. the late 70s. Um, okay. I was confused for a second. Yeah, it is a little confusing. Um so, Griselda's first husband, his name was Carlos Trujillo, and they had three sons named Dixon, Uber, and Osvaldo, and all of them were poorly educated, and all of them were killed in Colombia after being deported following prison sentences in the United States. Well, fuck. Damn. Um, her second husband, Alberto... Um, they had a very abusive and treacherous relationship. Griselda confronted Alberto, um, who, you know, was also her business partner in the cocaine trade. Um, and she she confronted him in a Bogota nightclub parking lot in 1975. Um, because there was about... There was millions of dollars missing from the profits of the cartel that they had built together, and she confronted him about it. And then, at the time, she was 32 years old when this happened, she pulled out a pistol, and Alberto responded by producing an Uzi submachine gun. Oh, chill. Okay. And after a blazing gun battle, he and six bodyguards lay dead. And Griselda only suffered a minor gunshot wound to the stomach and recovered. And that's when she fled to Colombia and later moved to Miami. But Miami is where her body count and reputation for ruthlessness continued to climb. Like, Miami was the big one. Um, Griselda had her youngest son, Michael Corleone Blanco, with her third husband, Dario uh, Sepulveda. I'm sorry if that's... I can't... Bless you. um, His name was Dario. Um, Dario... They had built this, this powerful empire together of it continuing the cocaine trade throughout Miami. Um, They were rich. Um, 
Michael was actually their son um, was actually featured on the Discovery Plus show Evil Lives Here. Oh, okay. I know exactly who you're talking about now. <laughs> and um, he recounted growing up um, in mansions uh, with all these nice freaking cars and these huge neighborhoods and how everywhere they went they had bodyguards. I think even in the show he said that they took a family trip to Disney World and they had a family picture. And in the family picture, four of the people were bodyguards. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the relationship between Griselda and Dario began to like to sour. There was a lot of tension in the oh, relationship because of the, you know, cocaine business. And apparently Dario had been cheating on her. So they decided to separate um, in 1983. Um, but before they, you know, settled on custody, uh, Dario kidnapped Michael and fled to Colombia. And because this he, seems to be a soap opera, bro. Right. So. Um, when Dario kidnapped Michael, he ran to Colombia because he didn't want Griselda to take full custody of him. So, as soon as Griselda found out that Michael had been missing and that she knew that Dario had kidnapped him, um, she paid to have Dario assassinated in Colombia in front of her son. Wow, that's great. Um... And, of course, Michael was returned to her in Miami. Um, so, Michael in Evil Lives Here, he reported that his father and older siblings were all killed before he reached adulthood. His mom was Could you in- imagine? Right? His mom was in prison for most of his childhood and teenage years. And he was raised by his maternal grandmother and legal guardians. Um, Sorry, I got lost. I remember him. Yeah, it was. I remember him in the show saying that, kind of like as soon as he would get close, because he had so many bodyguards, as soon as he would get close to them, they would just disappear. Right. And Mm. they would. They would just. One day they were there, one day they weren't. And he said that, like, one of his bodyguards was, like, his best friend. Like, he saw Uh him as his best friend because he wasn't allowed to play with other children. His mom wouldn't let him play with any children. And she even had, um, she taught her son, uh, Michael, the youngest, to call her and his father, Dario, by different names. Mm Mm-hmm. And huh. he said it became so instinctual that sometimes he forgot their real names. And that's pretty huh. insane. Um, so, after Griselda returned to Miami from Columbia, um, it 
it actually more or less coincided with the beginning of a very public violent conflict that involved like hundreds of murders and killings yearly that were associated with like the high crime epidemic that swept the city of Miami in the 1980s. Like Miami was a dangerous city in the eighties and um, law enforcement struggled to put an end to the influx of cocaine that was coming into Miami and they actually created the central tactical unit, um, which was a joint operation between the Miami-Dade Police Department and the DEA anti-drug operation. They created a whole like task force against it. Um, well, against the, their cartel? Yeah. Well, Specifically? And Griselda was part of the Medellin cartel. She was a kingpin in the Medellin cartel. Yeah. And so, That's wild. Um, so they had their own like CIA, basically, is what you're telling me. Basically, because the crime was so heavy and there was so much of it. There was hundreds of killings every year. And it was all based around drug offenses and cocaine, specifically. Right. Cocaine in the 80s was bigger than marijuana ever was. Oh, yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Um, this drug-related violence is now known as the Miami Drug War, or it also has um, the name the Cocaine Cowboy Wars. What? I love that. Um, and this swept through Miami from the late 1970s to the early in like the early 1980s. Um, cocaine was trafficked more than any other drug at the time. Um, Apparently, this whole thing, the the Miami drug war, was primarily created by Griselda's operation and led to the gangsters being dubbed the Cocaine Cowboys and their violent ways of doing business as the Miami drug war. That's wild. Yeah, right? Um, Cocaine Cowboys. It's got a good ring to it. Right? So... Let's do a little bit of back. I would not be mad about that. I mean, I was like, what? <laughs> when I first saw it. Um, so I'm going to give a little bit of backstory on the Miami drug war, just for context. Um, okay. So it was kind of like this war between United States government and multiple drug cartels, but primarily the Medellin cartel that Griselda ran. Um, it apparently was triggered by the 1979 Dadeland Mall shootout, and this was something that happened in broad daylight, where two gunmen of a Colombian drug gang entered and shot two men at a liquor store. Um, the murderers were immediately dubbed cocaine cowboys by the police officers, um, but then... Violence began to become like an epidemic in Miami. And in 1980, the city had 573 murders in the year. Damn. Uh, The next year, they had 621 murders. But by 19. That's a lot. Just in Miami, though. Just in the city. Just in the city of Miami, not Florida. The city. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's insane. I know, right? By That's two murders a day. It, yeah. At least. Yeah. Isn't that fucking crazy? But 
by 19 19- how do you keep up with that i don't know they have people that track that shit i don't i i don't know <laughs> i guess it's a law Sorry, Maybe that's have- wild. anyway i just did quick maths i can't math and i was so, like whoa wait a minute <laughs> so by 1981 the city morgue had an overload of dead bodies and had to rent out a refrigerated truck to keep the bodies in and keeping it until 1988. What? They kept that for seven years because they were running out of room in the morgues because all these people were dying. That is Um, But the most of the most of the violent crime was directly related to conflicts in the city's growing drug trade. Um, So Miami in 1981 was responsible for trafficking 70% of the country's cocaine. Good Lord. 70% of the country's marijuana. And then 90% of the country's counterfeit quaaludes. And quaaludes are a kind of like hallucinogenic medication. Um, But, yeah. It reminds me of uh, Wolf on Wall Street. (laughs) Yeah. But just Miami alone was responsible for this huge chunk of the United States as a whole. Their cocaine, their marijuana, and Uh, quaaludes. And quaaludes were a big thing back then. That's wild. Much of Miami's drug trafficking activity was centered out of Coconut Grove's mutiny at Sailboat Bay, where drug traffickers would frequently meet and conduct business because it was a bay... They were sneaking in behind the United States borders from Colombia, all that. Um, by night, 19- Sailboat Bay is way, way too cute to be a drug hotspot. I, I mean, need, like I read that. Books. I I read it right, and I was like, Coconut Grove. I was like, Oh, that sounds nice. <laughs> it sounds so cute, and it's just like J.K. Just kidding. Um. By 1981, crime in Miami had become so rampant from the cocaine trade that journalist Robin Far- uh, Farzid argues Miami was a failed state. Like, it just, Oof. the whole thing was falling apart. Like, the city was falling apart. Um, during the time... Miami turned into Gotham. Oh, God. <laughs> during the time, major Oof. traffickers like the Falcon Brothers... Um, and Sal Magluta smuggled in around $2 billion of cocaine from Colombia. Um, the, the Medellin cartel traffickers, Mickey Monday, John Roberts, Griselda Blanco, and Max Mermelstein brought in loads of drugs from Colombia with the help of Jorge Riva Alea. Um, he was a hitman responsible for around three dozen murders. Jesus. Um Miami soon became known I'm as... I'm always still considered a hitman and not just, like, a serial killer. Right? It's like... I don't... I, I mean, I, I'm... Fa- I'm getting paid! That's the difference! I'm okay. fine... I find it... Okay. I find it so... I, I find... Cartels interesting. The way they operate... Oh, yeah, it's fascinating, for sure. The way they operate the loyalty... Like, but literally the mm. second the loyalty even cracks, like, it's done. Like, you're gonna die. Like, oh, yeah. Um, but because of all of this, Miami soon became known as the drug capital of the world. Uh, due to ensuing turf wars between drug lords. 
bathroom, Miami. With I'm pretty sure people actually still refer to it as that. A lot of people do. Um, it is in recent years that Miami is still a very popular spot for cocaine, party drugs, and drug trafficking. Um, but Baltimore is now known as the heroin capital of the world. We, yeah. Yep. Go Maryland. Um, yay. Um, eventually, the drug war diminished, and I will tell you why. <laughs> With this long... Nope, I was... Sorry, I was thinking. Um, but before I go into that, I want to touch back on, like, that episode of Evil Lives here. Um... It was a very fascinating episode. I absolutely loved it. Um, Death is dying. Sorry. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> okay, sorry. That sounds over. I want to like circle back to the episode of Evil yeah. Lives here, um, because I wanted to also mention he was featured in the VH1 docu series Cartel Crew, um, and hmm. he also now runs a clothing brand called Puro Blanco that refers to his infamous mother. That is wild. Yeah, I haven't looked it up yet, but I was like, I kind of want to see what, like, he sells, but he does. He runs a clothing brand called Puro Blanco um, and it refers to his mom. I love that for him. Um, But, let's see here. Alright. Alright. Um... Talking about making lemonade out of lemons, though, right? I mean, he loved his mom. He did. He really saw no issues with what she had done, anything like that. She she was a good mother in the sense that she cared for her son and she provided for him. But there, he he didn't know he was a child like that didn't understand what was going on like why they had so much money well yeah his mom just told him we're very important people and people are after us and that's all he grew up knowing right crazy so i mean yeah you're not gonna tell your kid but like i just it's why could you imagine growing your whole life just thinking you're regular people rich and you find out that you're drug lord rich yeah like can you imagine well i think wasn't it they went away somewhere what what or something happened whenever they were young whenever he was younger they went away somewhere i think if i remember correctly it's been a while since i've actually watched the episode but they went away and something happened i think with one of the bodyguards yeah just... and while they were away uh she killed like she had him killed yes while michael was in the home yep i remember and that he kind yeah of understood he was kind of he kind of understood a little bit that he was, yeah. what was going on. He was starting to understand. Like I think he was like preteen, almost adolescent when that happened. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Like I said, I couldn't remember exactly. But like he started to understand then, like what was going on. Right, is what he said. Yes, I agree. Because um, the episode is like. Honestly, the whole series is really freaking good. I highly recommend it. I definitely recommend this episode. Uh, it was really good. And then I just watched one on uh, John Wayne Gacy last night, and I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Um, 
Yeah, his sister, man. His sister and his niece, man. That shit was crazy. But anyway, that's not the story we're telling today. (laughs) Derailed. Um, Okay, let's see. All right, so let's talk about, like, where things started to, like, come apart in this tight like she ran a tight business she was secretive but she ruled with an iron fist like i said so this is going to blow your mind because it blew my mind because remember this was in the 80s her distribution network which you know spanned throughout the united states brought in 80 million dollars per month per month 80 million dollars per month Wow. Yeah. Um, but because of her violent business style, um, it brought government scrutiny to South Florida, which ended up leading to her demise and fall, the organization fell. But um, in 1984, Griselda like her willingness to use violence against her drug lord competitors or anyone else who displeased her, honestly, uh, led her rivals to make repeated attempts to assassinate her. So they were moving around the country a lot, her and her young son. Um, so in an attempt to escape the hits that were called on her, she fled to California. Um, but on February 18th, 1985, she was arrested by cops in her home in California and held with full bail. After they sent her to prison, she tried to escape. Um, she was sentenced to more than a decade in jail. While in prison, she continued to effectively run her cocaine business with the help of her son, Michael. Yeah, with the help of her young son, Michael. And oh my god. In in Evil Lives Here, he said it was the Blanco curse. He said it was a curse that he had to break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 2012, Michael was actually put under house arrest after a May arrest on two felony counts of cocaine trafficking and conspiracy to traffic in cocaine. Uh oh. So he was put on house arrest for that. Well, yeah, because you got to think about it. The police had to have been watching him. Like, they're not stupid. Well, absolutely. But, so, I'm telling you, this woman was crafty and she was manipulative and she got what she fucking wanted. So, um, by pressuring one of Griselda's lieutenants, the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office obtained sufficient evidence to indict Griselda for three murders, even though she had she completed up to like two hundred. Um, That's crazy. But but for some reason, the case collapsed due to technicalities relating to a phone sex scandal between what? between the star witness and female secretaries in the district attorney's office. All right. Um, what? Bet the DA was having a field day. Oh my god. I, oh. Could you imagine your kingpin case gets thrown out because your secretary was banging somebody? The witness. The star witness. Yeah. Oh my like, god. Come on now. So, somebody in, got fired. For sure. Oh yeah, for sure. But 
she remained in prison for the cocaine part of things. Um, but she was indicted for the three murders. Um, in 2002, Griselda suffered a heart attack while in prison, but she survived. Um, but according to Michael, Griselda became a born-again Christian after her heart attack. Okay. Interesting move. Um, in 2004, Griselda was released from prison and she was deported back to Medellin, Colombia because she came here illegally in the first place. Well, So, she ended up... I love how they're like, you're Colombia's problem now, bye bitch. <laughs> right. I mean, essentially, yeah, that's what they did. Come back from whence you came. So... On the night of September, and like reminding you, um, before I get into this next part, just a reminder that she was still trying to run her cocaine business in the United States with her son. But that was that was until September third, twenty twelve, um, when Griselda died after being shot twice, once in the head and was once in the sho- shoulder. By a motorcyclist in Medellin, Colombia. Wow. Um, she was shot outside of a butcher shop on, like, on the corner. And she was just shopping. She was literally just out shopping. Had bought, like, all this money's worth of, like, meat from the butcher shop. But then this middle-aged gunman climbed off of the back of a motorbike outside of the butcher shop entered, pulled out a gun, and shot her two times before calmly walking back to his bike and disappearing into the city. Ain't that some shit? She was, 69, Damn. she was 69 years old when she died. Um, wow. So, I wrote down these films that I'm going to watch about it, um, because these they were, like, inspired by the case. Um, she has been featured in several documentaries. Um, she is and a lot of them have to do with cocaine cowboy like that's the name but she was in documentary films called cocaine cowboys 2006 and cocaine cowboys 2 from 2008 um then catherine uh, catherine zeta jones portrayed griselda blanco in cocaine godmother which was a television biopic which um premiered in 2018 on lifetime i'm gonna see if i can find that and then, as of 2020, there are plans for producing a film titled The Godmother, starring Jennifer Lopez as Griselda Blanco. Bitch. That's, okay. that's going to be that. That's going to be so good, honestly. Yeah, probably, it is. It, it's, like, it's going to be really good. But I also, like, I got a lot of information online, but also, like, I'm telling you, the documentary was very informative and telling of, like, from a different perspective, of course. But. Yeah. Michael. Um, I remember this, this story in particularly was just insane. So this is when his parents were still together. They were having a house party or something. And, um, Michael was supposed to stay upstairs, but he ended up wandering downstairs, um, and he was watching this lady 
dance with her boyfriend, I guess it was, and he thought that she was beautiful. I think it was her husband. It was her husband, yeah. And then she, uh, he said, you know, he was taught that if you fancy a lady, you go and grab her under her dress. Oh, Jesus. So, you know, he's also like a kid at this point, and he goes up to this lady and touches her under her dress, and the husband grabs him and pushes him, and of course, Dario, his father, stepped in and said, nobody messes with a Blanco. And they had him and his his cr- the crew of people that worked for them took this guy outside, poured gasoline on him, and lit him on fire in front of Michael. Mm-hmm. He woke up the next morning, walked outside, and saw a charred body. He was a child. Lovely. So it was like, it was odd. Like, I found a lot more information on, like, the murders in the documentary than I did online. Because the thing is, they killed so many people because of retaliation from, like, the drug cartels that were trying to, like, overthrow them and stuff like that. So. Yeah, unfortunately, names get lost in numbers well, sometimes. They do. Like, the only thing was, like, six bodyguards and her ex-husband she did kill. Yeah. That was said. So, um, but yeah. Because like, that's why I'm kind of scared to do, like, big serial killers, because it's like, do you know how long it's going to be to even just name, like, victims, you know, at a certain point? Oh, Absolutely. Because, like, the chessboard killer, I think he killed, like, how many how many squares are on a chessboard? However many minus one. Minus one. Like, 71 people. Holy shit. Because he was going down his chessboard and writing a name on each square. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Anyway, that's another derailment, but, but that's my point. That's still well, so many people. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think that this case is like it a lot of people will argue oh well it's not about like serial killers but it's still a true crime case you know what i'm saying like hey man we're called freaky geeky we can do whatever we want this is true and like i just find this case fascinating as hell because i'm telling you this woman was deadly like she just killed people to kill people or had people kill people for her i mean her ex-husband fled to Columbia with her son, and she found out so fast, and literally the day they got there, she had paid somebody to kill him. Like That is just crazy. That's what I'm saying. Like, fuck it. It's just, it's wild, dude. It's absolutely wild. But, that is the story of La Madrina, and I thought it was a pretty good one, if you want me to be honest. What do you guys think? What do you guys what do you guys think about this like kind of case? Like it's not like serial killer esque. It doesn't have like that feel to it, but what do you guys think of it? No, it's definitely more like mob bossy, but like I dig it. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. But I mean I, I find it interesting. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah, I'm definitely not mad about it. No, I think it's a fascinating story. I really do. Like when I 
because I'd never heard of it before before I watched that episode of Evil Lives Here, and I was like, oh, I gotta look into this more. This is pretty fucking crazy. But, alright. Yeah, that's how I've been kind of getting my inspiration lately. I feel like I need to learn about cases as I research them to keep myself, like... No, I get that. I completely get that. Um, a peek behind the curtain for you non-podcasters. Oh it's a pain in the ass. Oh my god. It, suffering with the, like, un... Like feeling uninspired to like write notes and study a case. It's it's awful, but I had a very large Especially. spark of inspiration last night for some reason. I was just like, I'm gonna write all these notes. Yeah, you really do have to jump on it. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, did you come up with a fun fact, Taylor? I do have one. Um alright, so your fun fact of the day. Will Smith met Jada Pinkett Smith when he, she auditioned for the role as his girlfriend on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And she didn't get the part. What? And now they're married. That's hilarious. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, what? I didn't never knew that. That's also kind of adorable. Right? She auditioned to be his girlfriend, didn't get the part, then eventually became his real girlfriend. She's like, I want the part, bitch. I had his kids. She's like, right. she's like, bitch, I won that. <laughs> In your face. Oh my, but uh, hit that social media plug, Ash. Alrighty. So you guys know the name is right in front of your face. Uh, look up our Facebook. We got that Instagram. We got that TikTok. And we're still waiting on the freaking box to come for our next uh, snack rate. But, you she's know. stuck in Florida, guys. She's stuck in Florida. Damn it, Florida. Well, they have uh, that storm right now, so. Except if, well, okay, well, not damn it, Florida. I'm sorry, Florida. Um, what am I missing? Email. Yeah, we're still looking for stories, so, you know, humor us. Send us, talk to us. I'll say, I'll say hi back, I promise. But, uh, yeah, I guess that's about it for the, that's it for this time, kids. And, and as always, stay freaky. Stay freaky, y'all. Stay freaky. Do 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 music. I got my I music. Hate it with your control. No! <laughs> <laughs>